from Forward Direction LLC, it's the You Should Listen podcast, a show that intersects sports, business, fashion, and hip-hop culture. We draw on experiences from influential people who have carved out a name in their respective creative space. We hope you pick up a few gems along the way. Thanks for tuning in. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Layden Williams. I'm the host of the You Should Listen podcast. Today, you are in for a treat. I'm with the one and only Zena Keita. She is the manager of partnership development for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Zena, go ahead and introduce yourself to the fans and listeners out there. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, Layden. I think it's super cool every time someone can create a space in which we can talk about this stuff and learn from each other. Uh, as Layden mentioned, I work with the Warriors doing partnerships, handling some of their sponsorships. Originally from North Carolina um, and moved down to Miami to work for the Dolphins first before I went to California uh, and currently enjoying my time in the sunny state um, of California. So very excited to be on this conversation and, and to be able to hopefully share some germs for you guys. Okay, cool. So first things first, uh, you know how I like to open the show, guys. Uh, I have to ask you, if there was a walkout song or theme music to, to your life or to your career right now, what would it be and why? I'd have to say anything Nicki Minaj. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling between whether it's from a Queen album or something on Pink Friday. I just love how Nicki kind of, at least since little Kim, just has owned the queen status. She has owned her her femininity. She has owned who she is as a leader at the top. Um, and she gives me the confidence boost that sometimes I'm, I'm missing myself. Uh-huh. So I, I can't choose one, but anything Nicki Minaj, I'd be happy with. Oh man, that, that's that's cool that you go with Nicki, but I'm definitely more partial to Cardi, especially with her recent uh, just came I out. I know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you know, Cardi's younger in the game and you know cardi had a lot of influence by nikki so i'm just i'm just putting you know respect on her name as she would want um but no no love to both of them they're both great cool cool so let's go ahead and dive into the conversation first and foremost wanted to congratulate you on your recent accomplishment of being the 2020 uh sbj new voices under 30 so i want to virtually tip my hat off to you for that appreciate that it was quite the uh surprise and honor um to be chosen and especially amongst that class. It was, it was really, really honorable to be able to be listed amongst them. Okay, cool. So first things first, let's, let's rewind back a little bit. Um, who is Zena? Like, where are you from? I know you mentioned North Carolina, but we'd love for you to talk, talk about your upbringing, um, your interest in sports, and kind of what you were into as a kid. Sure. So I was actually originally born in Paris, France. 
Oh, nice. um, I am an immigrant to the United States. I came when I was about five years old. So I've pretty much been Americanized, but I still do speak French. Oh. Um, my parents are both in Paris now and, and living out there, but my sister and I are here. And with that, my parents are, my mother's French and Guinean, my father's fully Guinean. We very much grew up in a strict African household. And my parents had divorced um, when I was eight. They're now back together 20 years later, side story. But um, they, because I grew up in a single mother home, you know, my mother did everything she could for us to kind of set the example. So she would go to work, come back home, make sure that she was home at a time that we, she could eat dinner with us and pick us up from school, et cetera. Um, and so while we didn't have, you know, the typical resources of a, a parent that was like in normal corporate America that we could learn from, we definitely learned from the example that she set around being committed to your family, being committed to your job, um, kind of like following the rules, right? And especially as an immigrant, that's something that's very bred deeply into you is like, be the best that you can be so that there's no excuse as to why you're here. Right. You never want someone to say like, oh, why'd you come to this country? You're no help. Like, so you kind of have that kind of ingrained in you at a, at a young age and at, at a young age. And that's that's how my mom kind of uh, I don't like brought us up. Right. And that led into what I was uh, how I acted around sports. So with sports, I started playing sports in middle school and it was kind of like a home away from home uh, in which I felt the most Americanized and the most like a normal American kid where I was going to practice and with my teammates and after school hanging out with, you know, my teammates at their houses and things of that sort, um, which was, you know, not the typical African upbringing. And I, I love sports for that reason. I, I dove deeply into it because of that. And once I realized, you know, again, African household, best, you have to get good grades. You want to grow up to be a lawyer, doctor, whatever it is. Once I realized that I could use sports to help me get to the college that I wanted to get into or whatever it was, then I like kind of zeroed in. And it was like, I need to get a scholarship or I need to be really, really good at something uh, that's gonna help my case for when I wanted to go to school. And so I started playing volleyball and basketball more seriously um, in high school and ended up kind of choosing basketball as my avenue because I'm from North Carolina okay. and you know, North Carolina's basketball state. And, um, and so that was where I, uh, really started playing the sport. So I always had a love for it, for, for giving me a home outside of my home, uh, like the game of sports and, and just being around team, but then really focused in on it from an academic perspective of wanting to become a student athlete. And then I went to a college that doesn't even give out athletic scholarships. Um, so ended up playing basketball at Yale University, had a great time, met some of my best friends in the world there. Um, obviously, fulfilled that academic perspective that I really wanted to, to, to hone in on when I was a young kid and, um, and opened up my eyes, right? Coming from North Carolina, small town, small, um, small city kind of thing. And knowing that my world was bigger, having come from France originally, I wanted to be in a space that allowed me to see that. So I went to Yale, studied anthropology, where I could study cultures and make sense of why my African culture, my French culture, my Southern American culture, all of those things were impacting me. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I don't wanna be a professor. I really appreciate what I've learned, but I wanna still stick to this thing that has given me a home for so many years. And that was sports. And so I didn't really know what to do with it. I didn't know how to get in it. Um, and that's when I went to business school and business school allowed me the year to kind of network, learn more, 
do the work I needed to do to become a professional uh, as far as like presenting myself and telling my story. Um, and that from business school, I was able to uh, join the Miami Dolphins and then end up here at the Warriors. Nice. So you definitely uh, said a lot. I feel like I'm inclined to say this to parler en français. Oh, bien sûr. Enchanté. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I took French for a few years in high school and college. So, so I have a little, uh, a bit of knowledge, I guess, in that space. Uh, but I want to get back to you. You, you mentioned uh, playing uh, collegially at Yale. Uh, mm -hmm. Just curious, what made you want to go to that school? Obviously, you mentioned uh, kind of growing up in the North Carolina space. Did you look at any schools that were closer to home or what was the mindset then? Um, so I have a funny story about that. In second grade, Miss Windley uh, was my teacher and she had us all write on different butterflies that she put on her uh, wall uh, where we wanted to go to school and what we wanted to be when we grew up. And this is second grade. So I'm like seven, six, eight, seven years old, um, still pretty seven or eight years old, still pretty fresh to America, but knowing what is valued in America. And I mean, you think as an immigrant kid, you always want to fit in. So the two things I wrote was, I want to go to Yale University because at that time, I think Bill Clinton was president mm -hmm. and you know Yale and Hillary. Um, and, then, uh, and then secondly, I said that I want to be an ESPN reporter because I, it was like the one thing that I felt like regardless of who you were, what background you were, everyone listened to ESPN and everyone respected ESPN. Sure. So I wanted to be those two things. So I got halfway there, did do the Yale thing. Um, but it, once the opportunity came about to go to Yale, it was kind of like, there's no other place I want to go. I did visit some other schools nearby, um, but the opportunity as an immigrant, as a parent, a single parent product to go to an Ivy League school and one of the best schools in the world, it was no brainer for me. For sure. Um, and and kind of what was the thought process while you were playing sports there? Did you think about a life after sports or pursuing playing um, overseas? Were you just like immediately, I want to go to business school or I want to kind of uh, start my career? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so <laughs> I was not a baller. <laughs> I kind of thought like, so there's ballers and there's ballers and like people that just play basketball. Um, was I was just a person that played basketball. I was not a great basketball player by any means. Um, I was raw talent. And then I went to a school that my coaching staff didn't quite have the time or the bandwidth to develop me into the talent I could have been. That's what I like to tell myself. Yes. Um, but it was, it was one of those things where I just went to play basketball and be a student. Uh -huh. um, and so playing post-college literally never came into mind. Mm -hmm. It actually wasn't until I went to Wake Forest and I became a student assistant and I was like playing with the, with the girls out there and holding my own and shocking in my opinion, like ACC, right? It's yeah. like, these are some of the best players in the country and holding my own and the coach, the head coach would ask me like, hey, do you have any more years of eligibility? That was when I was like, huh, I wonder if I could play, I don't know. But it was, it was just one of those things where I was like, no, like I, I, I loved, I loved playing, but not enough that I would, I would go and, and pursue it further. Um, but that being said, even though I knew playing like beyond college was probably not my route, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I've always been someone that people have been like, you'd be really good at this. Mm -hmm. And then I go do it and I'm good at it. And I kind of stick with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had always stuck within my comfort zone and because my comfort zone was usually bigger than other people's people would see it and be like, wow, you're doing such great things. And it was like, well, I'm actually not really stretching myself. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until after, uh, well, it wasn't until business school and then getting into the sports business side that I finally started to 
try and get out my comfort zone and do things and reach for things uh, like the SBJ award mm -hmm. uh, that was out of my comfort zone. For sure. Uh, I think one of my uh, mentors or advisees, they always say there is no growth in your comfort zone and there is no comfort in your growth zone. So to your yeah. point, you got to step out of that comfort zone to expand your boundaries and see what you can kind of take on. Um, what was it about business school that kind of aligned your interest to working in the business of sports? Like you said, you went to one of the top Ivy League schools and then obviously chose Wake Forest to kind of um, continue to learn. But what was it specifically that really uh, excited you about the business of sports? Hmm, that's a good question. I would say it was an opportunity for me to marry something that I truly had a passion for. You know how people, you know, sometimes you'll talk to people and they'll be like, well, why do you want to work in sports? Well, you know, I love sports. <laughs> and you have to tell them like, everybody loves sports. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to you, but like everybody loves sports. Uh, you know, and for me, it was truly like a, a spiritual connection to sports because I had felt so in between, right? I felt like such a third culture kid. France wasn't my culture, but yet I was born in it. Guinea wasn't my culture, yet my roots are in it. And the American South wasn't necessarily my culture, yet I was raised in it. So I was always just like kind of like in between all these spaces. And sports was one of those places that I always felt very like rooted. That in my Blackness. Gotcha. I always felt rooted in my Blackness and I always felt rooted in sports. And so I wanted to be able to work in that space, but then also utilize the fact that I was smart. Right. And I didn't want to coach because that was that wasn't the thing for me, but I wanted to be able to do something that was um, more strategic, uh, that was not necessarily academic, but something that allowed me to exercise my brain and think outside the box. Um, and then also I wanted to do something that allowed me to work with people. Mm -hmm. And so sports business was like the best of both worlds where I could make money literally thinking up. How do I use this thing that's so special to me? to help an organization make money, to help an organization help their communities um, and to help uplift a brand. Mm -hmm. And I love that concept of kind of being in the, the oh, you would know this word, the milieu, in the middle of all of that. And so I, I really like that. And, and that's what really attracted me to being able to use these skills that Wake Forest was giving me around general business mm -hmm. and then applying it to something that I particularly was passionate about. For sure. And I know you mentioned uh, helping out the, the women's basketball team at Wake Forest, but what was like your first, um, I guess, start into the actual real world, as they call it, um, in the business of sports? Uh, where did I guess you could say it was working as an assistant with the Yale Athletic Department within their partnerships world. Okay. And I still very much remember um, that's so funny. Um, Pat O'Neill, who is the, I think he's the director still um, of, of partnerships and all of that at Yale. Mm -hmm. Pat O'Neill gave me a job with uh, an assistant job within his office. And I remember like having to go to, before I really knew what partnerships was, mm -hmm. having to go into our arena and like check that the Coca-Cola sign is up or go to our hockey arena and make sure that the bank, I think it was like Weber Shanwick or whatever, whoever it was, um, not Weber Shanwick, that's an agency. Webster Bank, maybe? I think it was Webster. It was something like Webster with a W and like make sure that their sign was up and walk around with the partner nice. to make sure that it was up. I was doing that before I knew what I was doing. Oh, um, and he introduced me into that world. And he also is the person that brought one of the biggest Under Armour deals um, for any like NCAA 
campus, uh, obviously they have the UCLA deal, but then they did like a $16 million deal with, with Yale as well. And he was the head of that. And he was showing me all these things that I didn't even know exactly what I was doing, but I liked that there was this like other mind, like portion to sports. Um, and I didn't know there was a name to it until I got into the world of sports, um, professional sports at least. So that was my first foray into it. And then um, my next foray was when I was in business school, I did anything and everything. And one of the jobs I did was, you know, uh, being that assistant on the at the football games that throws out the t-shirts right from the field. Uh, so I worked as an assistant there. And then I worked as a writer for the women's basketball team. And I think I wrote like one piece <laughs> um, just because we couldn't get stories approved. But, and then I got an internship or not an internship. Well, I guess it was, I was a research intern for a company called Thuvio. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, yeah. but they, they're a company out of New York started by Tiki Barber. And at the time they were the company that if you, let's say Layden, you had a five-year-old that was obsessed with Charles Barkley, mm -hmm. random, but yes. And you were like, at my five-year-old sixth birthday, I want to bring Charles Barkley. I have the money, I have the means, but I don't know how to get in touch with him. Thuzio was that company you would go to their website and say, I want Charles Barkley for a kid's birthday party. Can you make it happen? And they would give you the price and you would facilitate it that way. It is now a platform in which you can like have these celebrities come and do business. It's more B2B. Um, but it was a great start because I got to see what a startup looked like in the sports world. And I did all this research on athletes and figured out all the brands they work with and all the different things they do. Um, and that was super, super interesting to learn more about. Um, so that was like my first real opportunity in sports. For sure. I wanted to backtrack a little bit to a saying that you said earlier, and, and I was guilty of it when I was um, trying to evolve into the industry of saying, I want to work in sports. I'm interested in sports. I watch sports. Like what, what, it, what is your advice or what's the conversation like when someone reaches out to you on LinkedIn or, or they pop up in your DMs and they're like, hey, Zena, I see you're doing a lot of cool things with the Warriors. I love sports. I'm a huge basketball fan. I want to work in sports one day. Like, what do you say to them? Often, um, well, one, if there's someone I completely don't know, I'll say, oh, that's great. Why? Um, but I, I will say I'm fortunate that I haven't gotten that as much lately. Mm. Um, but if I get on a call with someone uh, that's a stranger and they go, you know, I love sports. I've been playing sports all my life, this and that. I go ahead and I tell them very honestly, you know, I need you to dig deeper because I'm a very tough love type of person. I get this from my mom um, because everyone loves sports and you need to find a way to tell your story that resonates. It needs to, it needs to be deeper. It needs to be more relevant. It needs to be more uh, something that people can empathize with because the bottom baseline is that you love sports, right? Like that's the, that's the, that's just the baseline to be able to get in the door. I, I need something more than that. What is it going to, because you can love sports and hate the business of sports, mm -hmm. right? You can love sports and hate the politics of sports. Um, so I need to know that you love sports in a certain way that will allow you to do your job even when the going gets tough. And that's where the differentiator goes for people who quote unquote love sports. You'll find some of these people that are killing it in the field of sports don't necessarily love sports. Mm -hmm. 
right? It's it's not even it's got nothing to do with the fact that they like sports. It's got more to do with the fact that they are de- more like they're committed to what they do. They're they're tough people. They have grit or they're incredibly creative people or something else other than just they love sports. So they marry other traits and characteristics about themselves or deeper connections to the the game of you know whatever it is that they they love um, to be able to do well within their league. I think about a, a teammate of mine I had at Miami, whose father um, was a coach um, and and passed unfortunately early um, from cancer. And I never knew this about her. It came out later on. I'm not even, I think it was like on the anniversary of her father's death. And I, it made sense then why she particularly wants to work in the NFL. And she works in the NFL to this day. And why she particularly wanted to work in this NFL, because this was like where she made her connection with her father. Um, and it's stuff like that where, you know, obviously you don't necessarily have to have a, a family death to be able to say, this is why you love sports, but something that grounds you in the work that you do so that you will appreciate the opportunity still when things aren't easy, that's what you really need to, to, to focus on. And that's usually what I tell people, like just dig deeper because I'm gonna tell you right now, no one's gonna be impressed with the fact that you love sports. <laughs> For sure, I had to learn that the, uh, the hard way, but definitely changed the narrative since then. I um, yeah. wanted to kind of pivot a little bit to talk about uh, your career. I feel like one, um, I guess soft skill that I always hear when I speak to individuals that are in the industry is the ability to manage and nurture relationships. Can you kind of talk yeah. about how you go about making uh, relationships and making sure that you're uh, touching in and, and uh, keeping in contact with those right business partners or clients? Yeah, I think uh, my old boss from the Miami Dolphins, Todd Klein, he now heads up William uh, Morrison Endeavor Sports Talent and Properties. Nice. He put it best for me. Um, where there's going to be some clients that you've developed relationships with, and there's going to be some clients that you develop rapport with. At the bottom line, you need to have rapport with your clients. And what that means is, yeah, maybe I'm not telling you what I did for my birthday, you know, with my girls, or maybe I'm not telling you that I've got a baby on the way, you know, before I'm telling other people. But at the bottom line, I need to have you and I, if you're my, you're my business partner, you're my client, mm-hmm. you and I need to have a level of respect for each other and appreciation for each other so that if an opportunity comes up for us to work together in a positive way, it is natural for you to want to tell me about that. Same with me. If something comes up with me on my side, it is natural for me to want to share that with you. If you don't have rapport with your client, you're missing on opportunities because you don't have that baseline respect and appreciation for each other that essentially cultivates progress and cultivates opportunities and cultivates conversations that lead to those things. Um, So I always start with at least let me try and get their respect and their appreciation and then, you know, drop in what your weekend plans were and see how they respond. And from there, you can build a relationship. I'm I'm big on authenticity. Mm -hmm. I'm big on authenticity. Don't fake like you love the same artists that they do. Don't fake like, you know, you completely agree with everything they say about what's going on in the world. There's no need to do all of that. People actually respect um, you being yourself. Now, I'm not saying argue with your client. I'm not saying argue with your client or go against what they're saying. I'm just saying that you don't need to kiss up. And, and fake because it's all going to come out eventually. They're going to eventually invite you to a concert that you hate your life 
at. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Oh yeah, I shouldn't have lied and said I love X, Y, and Z uh, artists. But I, I think that being able to be authentic and true to yourself, you know, is something that all of my clients really appreciate about me, that they're, they know that who they're going to get every time. Um, and the ones that I've not been able to, to really get that connection with, like, it's not going to happen for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have to just rely on the respect, the bottom line. And then it's like, all right, at least we can do business with each other because we respect each other. You won't worry, you won't worry about my weekend plans. I won't worry about yours, but we can do business. And that's how I kind of look at it. Um, and yeah, be authentic in all your interactions, phone calls, emails, if you're texting with your client, whatever it is. Um, also get to know how they communicate best. I know some people that will be like, please just text me because I'm usually in meetings and people will call them. And it's like, if the client has given you the right and the, the open door to text them, text them. <laughs> operate in the way that they like to operate um, so, so you can be as productive as possible. Um, if, if a client loves to email, email them, even if it's against your way of communicating, email them as much as you can. Now, obviously there's going to be some sensitive things you need to call for, call them on, mm-hmm. but for the most part, if you can operate in the way that they operate, send them notes if they need notes, send them emails if they need emails, work with their assistant if they prefer that, all these different things, those are ways that clients appreciate about the way that I operate with them um, and keeping in touch with them and building those relationships because it means that I respect their boundaries and they can trust me to do so. So then that allows them to you know, feel a little bit more open to give me information about other departments and things that other departments might be looking for that I can help them with. That's a very long-winded answer, but- No, for sure, uh, I appreciate that. Those things that- yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely appreciate the gems you're sharing. Um, you mentioned a lot about, uh, obviously, the conversations you have with the clients and working with the various business partners. We'd love for you to just kind of walk our listeners through a day-to-day and what it what it means to actually work in the partnership development space. Um, I mean, I loosely have an idea just from the internships in the classroom and obviously reading up on articles and soaking up as much information as I can online, but we'd love to to hear from, from, from your perspective. Sure. Um, so I'll give a COVID version and a non-COVID version. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. So the COVID version is virtual. So I'm working from home. Uh, however, I am still interacting with my clients. So just to, to give context for those listening, I'm a partnership development manager and different teams do it differently in that when you sell a partnership or a sponsorship at a team, that sales team then passes off the partner to a partnership activation manager, essentially saying everything that we put in that contract you are now responsible for making sure it happens. That's my job. Now, my job also says partnership development. And the reason why it's not just activation is because I don't just activate the partnership. I also try and develop it. So if new opportunities come through the pipeline or at the end of the partnership, there's an opportunity to renew that partner, I am now responsible for that. It does not go back to the sales team. It stays with me. That partner is now mine indefinitely until I'm either transferred off of it to go to a new partner or until I leave the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so we that's how it actually worked similarly that way at Miami and it, and it was worked this way at the Golden State Warriors, but not every team is like that. So because it is my responsibility to make sure that that contract happens, it's my responsibility to make sure I know who on that the client end is gonna help me in executing that. 
And I need to make sure that as I execute that contract, it's to their, um, it's to their standards, right? We can't just say just because we put a social post up on social that that's it. If they mean that a social post needs to go up at a certain time of day during a certain campaign that they're running, I need to make sure with my team that that happens. So I'm working with that client, getting to know them, talking with them, checking in with them, daily, it might not be daily meetings, but it might be weekly meetings, bi-weekly meetings, emails back and forth. We're communicating constantly on how to get the contract executed. Then internally, I'm still meeting with the teams internally that are gonna help me do that. Partnership people are really busy middle people. Mm. We're middle men and middle women. We are the liaison for the client internally. So if the client needs something from the studio team, it's my job to work with the studio team to make that happen. If the client needs something from the players in a player appearance, it's my job to work with uh, the team that works with the players to make sure that, that appearance happens. Um, and so, so on and so forth. So I'm working with all of these teams interdepartmentally. And that's what I actually love about my job is that I get visibility into so many verticals uh, within the organization. And then I take all of that information, I synthesize it and I bring it back to the client. Mm -hmm. And I say, hey, I worked with that team. We're gonna get your player appearance on this day. We're gonna get that, that studio, that digital content piece that you need on this day. We're gonna shoot it on this day. Then we're gonna edit it. And then we're gonna need your approval. And then we're gonna post it. So I'm working with the client, I'm working with the teams internally, and I am championing everyone's causes. So obviously I have to act on behalf of the brand to make sure that whatever the client needs is not in conflict with the Golden State Warriors or the Miami Dolphins or whoever it is that I'm working with at the time. Um, I have to make sure that that brand is uplifted, but at the same time, I have to make sure that this partner who has paid a significant portion of their marketing dollars gets their value. So you're really being that middle person um, to set expectations, to communicate well, to make sure everybody's happy at the end of the day and at the end of the day, at the end of the year, to make sure that everything that was supposed to happen in that partnership contract happens. So right now we're doing all of that virtually. Mm-hmm. In a non-COVID setting, it's all of that plus entertaining clients. Mm. So in order to get to know your clients, in order to build that rapport and then get to the relationship level. You need to get to know them, not just from phone calls, not just from emails, you gotta do it in person. So I would be at a game, entertaining them in the suite, making sure they get tickets, making sure I meet with them, their family members, whomever. Maybe we'll take them out to a concert. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll meet them in their towns and their respective headquarters. Um, all of that meeting with them in person to get that face-to-face connection and to let them know and make sure they feel that they're part of the Golden State Warriors family. And then I'm also at games, we have assets that are within those contracts that have to be executed at the games. So in a non-COVID situation, you may have an alcohol partner that has a tasting that's supposed to happen within the suites, or you may have a, a partner that has a game night sponsorship. So they're the presenting act of the halftime show. So all of the stuff that happens in arena. So whenever somebody goes to a game and you see branding anywhere in an arena that is not the team that you came to cheer on or their opponent, that is a sponsor. And someone had to work to get that signage up. Someone had to work to get that performance to happen. Someone had to work to get that that concourse table up where you could sign up for free tickets for the rest of the year. All of that stuff is things that my, are things that my team would work on on a game night. We would make sure we check 
we come early, set it up, help the client set it up. If the client's on site, we would do all that stuff to make sure that it happens. And then boom, there's an asset that's executed from the contract. So that's COVID and non-COVID. Okay, appreciate that. Uh, showing us both sides of the sword, so to speak. Um, obviously you're working with the Warriors and then down in Miami, I'm sure you've experienced like your fair share of highlights throughout your career. Would love for you to speak about some of the partnerships that you're proud of that you can um, obviously share um, on the platform. I know some of it is uh, confidential information, but whatever you can share, would love for the fans to kind of soak that up. Sure, I think the most, I actually, I'm, I'm happy you asked that question. One of the things that I'm most proud of is something that we just did uh, two weeks ago, or I think, yeah, two weeks ago now. Um, or no, it was last week. Oh God, it feels like so long ago. It was last week, National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Um, I had a, a we have, we're, because we're in COVID, we have to translate so many events that used to be in person to a digital format. And so we knew we wanted to celebrate this day for the first time officially as an organization. And we needed to figure out something to, 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 to uh, be able to have it part, like sponsored excuse me, by a partner. And so I, I worked with our PR director, uh, Ken Veal, and we came up with a really cool concept in which we would do an external facing clinic. So imagine a basketball clinic that you would go to in a real life setting, making it virtual and then making it open to the community. So we were like, let's do that and focus it for young girls in the Bay Area. Um, and I was like, well, that's super cool. Um, and my partnership mind. So she, her first thought was, let's do a big blowout where we invite girls and we get WNBA players to coach them through a clinic. And so where my partnership mind goes, right, is I have to be that middle person. It's like, all right, well, we can't get people to come in person because of COVID. How about we make it virtual? And how about we build out the rest of the day so that we make this a full platform that someone can put their name on? And so um, really proud of how that worked out. We ended up doing an external clinic and panel with four WNBA stars, uh, which was amazing. Uh, got over 700 people to come virtually uh, to the event. We also did an internal panel just for Nike and GSW employees in which we got some heavy hitter executives, uh, female executives that are the first to do, you know, first black woman to be the president of a soccer team, uh, first Latina woman to be the commissioner of a big, uh, athletic NCAA uh, conference, um, one of the first uh, female GMs of arenas. Like we, we got that panel together and did that um, internally for Nike and GSW. And then we did a video montage that we shared on LinkedIn about women from the Warriors talking about why it's important for them to be women in sports. And so we put all of that together um, and we're, we're, we pitched it and presented it to Nike, who we know really has been focusing specifically on getting young girls back in the game and, and focusing on young women in sports. Um, and they, they went for it. And it was, it was a risky move, right? Because we completely transformed what another event that they already had going into this. And we did it all virtually. And so that was really cool to be able to come up with a, something that aligned with the, the partner's values and what they're trying to do in the market right now, uh, empowered women and, and really celebrated this day and do something brand new uh, to start a new tradition for Golden State Warriors. And so really, really proud of, of that event. And outside of that, really proud of any event that we do in the community. Mm. Um, it's, it's really important for these teams that 
you know, it's not cheap to go to Warriors games, especially because we're in the Bay Area, right? Um, so we really appreciate all of our support from all of our fans that have followed us over the bridge. And anytime that we can give back to those groups and give back to that community is really, really special. And so I love anytime that we're able to do something special for our community members um, and the kids, obviously. I mean, soft spot for sure. Thanks. And I know the uh, one thing that has resonated um, with me throughout our conversation tonight is that um, your emphasis on empowering women and obviously being a black woman in the sports space would love to you would love for you to kind of speak about um, your journey um, from your perspective as well and what it means to be in a, in a position of, of leadership and influence. Yeah, I'm, I'm realizing and I actually was talking to a girlfriend of mine that works with me um, about that today. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the number one thing I've learned um, or I've gained since being in sports is my voice the confidence in my voice. I think, like I told you, I was a third culture kid, constantly not figure, not really knowing where I fit, um, especially as a black immigrant, right? Not being African-American, but being African, but then being here as a black person in America since I was five and very much identifying with everything that happens to African-American people. Um, and then wanting to be sensitive about, sensitive to myself about, what does that mean as far as like how I make my voice heard um, within that space? Like every time someone says, well, you know, we've got African-American women, Zena it's like, I'm not African-American woman. And not to say that as an offense at all to the African-American community, but to make sure that everybody else outside of the black community understands that there's levels to this, right? Mm -hmm. That there's nuances to us and you can't just lump us all together and be politically correct and say African-American. Um, and it, I had to find my voice and being sensitive and aware of how do I speak on behalf of people who look like me, uh, people who empathize and relate to me without shutting down the, the value and the, the insights and the experiences of others, right? And, and, and instead encouraging others to go listen to those experiences and go listen to those insights. Um, so I've been really, really excited and proud of the, the steps I've made since being a young black girl that, you know, was called an Oreo for being smart, right? Like black on the outside, white on the inside. Um, that was, that just didn't really know where she fit within that world to now being someone that's very proud of my blackness, mm -hmm. very proud of my, my femininity and my, and my womanhood um, and, and being able to use my voice to help others get on board with finding their voices. Um, from that journey hasn't been easy and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's been trial and error, right? Where I've raised my voice about something and seen how people reacted to it and then realized, um, did I like that response? What can I have changed <laughs> to get a better response? Um, what can I say to the response I didn't like? Um, and it's been trial and error. And so I'm, I'm still doing that. I'm still in the process of finding my voice, but it's been really cool to see, uh, to, to see other black women um, use their voice and be able to like learn from them. Um, I, there's so many I can, I can name right now, um, but there's been so many black women within sports, especially mm -hmm. that have stepped up and said things that have inspired me to be like, you know what, we can't accept lesser than this. For sure. um, and if we are deciding to accept lesser than this, I want to make sure for the record 
but I am not <laughs> accepting that. <laughs> right? Maybe I can't do anything to change it, but I want my name on the list of the people that were like not cool with this. Um, so that is that's that's definitely something that's you know the journey that I'm on with is finding my voice, and and that's very important to me. Nice. Um, as we kind of wrap up the conversation, I ask everyone this question as well. What is your personal mantra and what is on your vision board for 2021 and beyond? Oh, goodness. Hold on. I'm actually going to go grab it. <laughs> That's so funny. I actually made my girlfriends make a vision board with me for my last birthday. Oh, nice. Um, so Got to manifest it. You got to manifest it. I think the number one thing that is on my vision board, it's at the very top and it's being your own muse. Um, I, I think it's incredibly important to have confidence in yourself, but it also really important to be inspired by, the, by yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like to, to make sure that the things that you're doing are the things that you admire in others. Um, and, and being, especially in the space where as a, as a black woman, finding value within yourself is sometimes hard. So rather than looking externally for constant inspiration and muse, like be inspired by yourself. And so being your own muse is one. Uh, another one is don't kill her vibe. Mm. Um, so for so finding things that vibe with me, finding people that vibe with me, finding jobs that vibe with me, finding opportunities, uh, hobbies, things like that. Don't kill her vibe. Like, I need to, I, I, I prioritize now finding myself in spaces that serve me, which I did not do when I was younger. Mm. So um, that would be number two. And then the last one that I really want to call out is a quote that says, I promise it will get better. Mm, I like and I, I, won't, I won't say that's necessarily a mantra of mine, but I am a big believer of what is meant to be won't be kept from you nice. uh, or what's meant for you won't be kept from you. Um, and that's kind of like taking a Bible verse and making it shorter. Um, yeah. But I, I promise it will get better. All of that is to say, when, wherever you are now, it could be a storm, but storms clear the way for bigger things to happen. So I promise it will get better. What's meant for you, if this isn't the door for you, another door will open. I have found a lot more peace in that more recently. And so... I would say that's a mantra I, I definitely uh, live by is knowing that I promise it will get better in the sense, so. Nice. Well, Zena, I appreciate you joining the show, but before we wrap up, I have to put you in the hot seat as I do with all my guests and get your take on five questions and then we can shout out your social media handles. And uh, if you want, you can leave your contact information for people to get uh, connected to you or simply follow your journey, but we'd love to put you in the hot seat for a second. Are you down? I, I am scared, but yes. Let's All right, cool. So uh, <laughs> let's start with music. Uh, we started the conversation with music, so let's start the house with music. Would you rather have Drake drop his new album or new new music from Rihanna? Oh, Ray, Ray, come on now. Yes, Ray. Okay. <laughs> Always Rihanna. <laughs> All right. Oh, even over Beyonce? No, that's that's tough. Okay. <laughs> that's tough. only because you know what? There's been a Rihanna drought. I it's would say good. Rihanna. Yeah. In a normal setting, probably Beyonce first. Okay, okay. Um, next question, drive the car or control the music? Mm, control the music. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So you're the, you're the passenger DJ, nothing wrong with that. Oh, for sure, yes. Mm -hmm. I have a million playlists, I love them. Okay. 
post COVID, would you rather be courtside for the game or in a suite? Oh, courtside. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't know that. <laughs> That's a good uh, question. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Next question. Uh, are you most likely to start a TikTok or sing a karaoke? I have never downloaded TikTok, so I will say karaoke. Okay. What's your go-to song? Uh, Lauren Hill. Uh, you're too good to be. Oh, oh wow. I'm wow blanking. Um, I would just sing it. I'm. I can't even know. Is it good to? Can't take my eyes off of you. There it goes. <laughs> okay. There we go. That's, that's a good choice. And uh, last question: If you could have dinner with any three people anywhere in the world, dead or alive, who would it be, and why? I'll definitely Michelle Obama is definitely on there. Okay. Uh, dead or alive. Uh Michelle Obama. I'll probably put I feel like Rihanna would be such an interesting guest. Um <laughs> and then oh, Steve Carell. I love the office. Okay. <laughs> interesting uh assortment yes <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure but that'd be an interesting conversation I really think Oprah but like she'll give me the same energy that I need from Mama Michelle for so sure. I was like you know what I, I need somebody fun and cool Rihanna I need somebody like wise and like you know can help me out Michelle and then I need somebody that's just hilarious and random and that's Steve Carell gotcha gotcha well um as we kind of wrap up again wanted you to shout out your handles or how people can get in contact if you uh, choose to and any words of advice for anyone that's looking to kind of break into the industry or pivot into the industry or simply wanting to get involved in the business of sports so have at it sure okay so on instagram i am at zena b and that is z-e-n-a underscore b-e-e -E. um on twitter i think i'm just my full name spelled out zena kato z-e-n-a-b-k-e-i-t-a -E -E um same thing with um with LinkedIn, those are the best ways to reach out to me um, if you're interested in connecting. Um, and advice for people in the industry, I would say, again, dig deep to find your passion as to why you really wanna be in this, this arena. Cause you, when you think about getting paid, when you think about, you know, staying long-term, you've gotta have some grit. So make sure you dig deep um, and then know your story be ready when you never know the world is so small the sports world is so small you never know who you're going to meet who you're going to talk to know your story and be prepared to impress uh because usually with sports it's that it's that easy you impress one person they want to help you out um and they open a door that you weren't thinking about before mm, i like that thanks for all the gems I, I definitely appreciate that again ladies and gentlemen my name is Layden williams i'm the host of the you should listen podcast and we are out thanks guys bye From Forward Direction LLC, it's the You Should Listen podcast, a show that intersects sports, business, fashion, and hip-hop culture. We draw on experiences from influential people who have carved out a name in their respective creative space. We hope you pick up a few gems along the way. Thanks for tuning in.